You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. number of officials. Shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Happy New Year and welcome to the first 2022 episode of the Economy of Matters podcast. I'm Tom Heinches, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. I'm so happy to be back in the recording studio and surrounded by my bank colleagues. And I'm so pleased you're with me today because we're going to talk to the Atlanta Fed's Dominic Perviance, a subject matter expert in the bank's Supervision, Regulation, and Credit Division. Uh, we're going to discuss housing affordability trends as viewed by the Atlanta Fed's Home Ownership Affordability Monitor, or HOME as it's known. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Dominic. It's good to talk to you again. It's good to be here, Tom. Uh, Dominic, let me start out by asking uh, why the Atlanta Fed tracks housing affordability and how does that align with our work in bank supervision? Well, housing affordability is it's normally the leading indicator of where the housing market cycle is. So once housing becomes unaffordable, then that leads to increased risk in the housing market. So people tend to borrow more than they can afford. Their, their lenders tend to loosen credit standards in order to get more people to buy. So that's normally an early indication that the housing market is actually entering the peak of the cycle. And so we track it in order to make sure that we understand where where risk is in, in the market and the potential risk that our lending institution may be exposed to as a result of lending in the market that's sort of at the peak of the cycle. Right. And before we go much further, um, I want to ask you how how we define "quote unquote" affordability. Is is it a, is there a widely used metric like the percentage of income going to mortgage payments? And just describe the yardstick we're discussing here. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's a distinction between unaffordable and expensive because those two things aren't necessarily the same. Right. So you can have a say a market like Washington D.C. The median home price is maybe four hundred fifty thousand dollars or something like that. It's more expensive than the than the national median uh, median home price, but incomes are higher there. And so, if you're trying to define affordability, affordability is is more defined as the percentage of income versus how expensive the the house is. And so, the metric uh, that we use is you know as defined by HUD. So, thirty percent of your income. If you exceed 30% of your annual income in your principal interest, taxes, and insurance, then it's considered that purchasing that home is considered unaffordable. Right. And so the, the, we focus on um, the median income household within a particular geography, whether it's an overall U.S., a metro area, or, or a county. And if the median home price the cost to own the median home in a particular market, if that exceeds 30% of your income, is considered unaffordable. If it's below 30% of, the in- of your income, it's considered affordable. Right. That's a great point. Expensive does not mean unaffordable always. Dominic, the Atlanta Fed introduced home, the, the uh, monitor we're discussing, just as the pandemic was, was gripping the economy in March 2020, in fact. So it was in the works well before COVID hit. Uh, in its development, and I guess no one could have foreseen the sort of changes in affordability measured since then. No, no. So when we when we introduced the the index, 
you know, we weren't ex- obviously we weren't expecting a year or two long pandemic. Yeah, no one uh, foresees no, a pandemic. No, <laughs> no, not at all. And and b- to be quite honest with you, what we were expecting uh, to occur in the housing market is quite different than what actually happened. So we were expecting um, demand to to decline or to be, you know, like we're looking back to 2008 um, right. and expecting something similar. That did not happen. I, in fact, the exact opposite happened. Yeah. Demand increased for a variety of reasons, uh, one of which is interest rates were very low. So that was impetus for a lot of people to buy. Also, people wanted more space. They wanted to, uh, they were working at home. They needed an office space. They had their kids at home. And so, right. And so it was, It we really experienced a spike in demand. At the same time, there, there were a lot of people who decided they didn't want, you know, people walking through their houses and they didn't think it was a good time to sell. So you had inventory taken off the market. Builders couldn't build homes fast enough. So all of those things came together and created this enormous upward pressure on home prices. And it was not, there was no corresponding increase in incomes. And so as a consequence, affordability declined, has has been declining by double digits um, for, for most of this year. I want to talk for a minute about the monitor itself. What's involved in monitoring housing affordability on a nationwide basis? What what data inputs go into it? Well, the, the most important data inputs are obviously the median home price, which we get from other sources. And we use a kind of a three-month moving average to smooth out some of the volatility. Things like interest rates, taxes, and insurance are things that, that are uh, available publicly. We also uh, we do some projections of income. Incomes are, aren't necessarily tracked every year, so we have to project incomes out. So those are the primary components. You know, it's it's a significant undertaking to track this at at the national level. Sure. Um, and we our index uh, not only looks at the nation and metro areas, we also go down to the to the county level within metro areas. Oh. So it's a significant amount of data, um, and we hope to sort of get even lower levels of granularity uh, in the future. But such such as what? What would be an example of even more uh, granular? Uh, zip codes, probably. Oh, okay. So being able to track, you know, what's affordable by zip codes within metro areas. Uh, typically, where pe- how people think about housing markets are in smaller geographies. So I want to buy in this zip code or be in this school district. So understanding housing and affordability at, at lower levels of geography is necessary for really understanding the health of the market and in the big picture. And so in the future, that's probably, well, you know, something that we're looking to include. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, um, what does the monitor of the index observe? Homes with mortgages or rental homes and apartments or what specifically? We're just talking about homes for sale. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, we've all seen some remarkable data concerning housing affordability, affordability in recent months, as, as you alluded to. Your last home update noted that nationally, homeownership affordability fell 11.5% in August year over year, the sharpest decline in nearly a decade. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, What should we take away from trends like this? Well, what's interesting is, you know, affordability has been on our radar for some time. I think what we are experiencing, what we have experienced over the past year is, is sort of an acceleration of a of a trend that's sort of been a long time in the making, and it's primarily been driven by what what I perceive as as a lack of inventory. 
we sort of overcorrected from the 2008, at least in the near term, overcorrected from the 2008 downturn where we weren't building as much housing as sort of population growth and um, demand would, would warrant. And there are a lot of people who refinance their mortgages and they're locked in at a very low rate. So there's a disincentive for them to put their house on the market. So inventory levels have been sort of declining over, over an extended period of time and we haven't been able to replace it. And so, you know, even though nationally housing was affordable, if you look at our index, you know, over the past several years up until the, this past year, it's been a concern of, a, of ours. And the current trends is just an acceleration of what we've been seeing. But of course, you know, housing isn't the only thing that where we're seeing a considerable amount of inflation. There's inflation everywhere. So sure. I just think it's, it's the big takeaway is this is is a part of a, a long-term trend, but also a broader trend that we're seeing in other areas of the economy as well. Right. Well, I mean, you mentioned the heightened demand as a driver of declining affordability. Um, but what other factors are at work here? Um, you mentioned the pandemic caused uh, new home construction to slow down. Are there other factors that we should be aware of? Yeah, so one of the, the big things that happened, uh, again, this is not a new trend. It, it just has been accelerated through the pandemic. There are a lot of people in high-cost markets that built up a lot, of, a lot of equity, particularly through the pandemic. As home prices went up, they were able to sell their homes and move to lower-cost markets. So this movement of, let's say, if, you were in, if you're in the south, southeast, you have a lot of people moving from the Northeast, New York, New Jersey. They, they have a lot of equity in their home. They're able to sell their own homes and come with a lot of cash. And so, you know, they're either paying cash for the home or they have a significant amount of cash to, to bring to the closing table. Uh, a, a significant amount of people have been paying well above asking price because they have a considerable amount of cash. All of that has sort of accelerated this upward pressure in price. The other thing that that's really driving... I mentioned low interest rates is driving demand. The other thing is non-primary demand. So people who are buying an investment property or people that are buying a second home or institutional investors that are buying properties as part of an effort to build a rental portfolio. That's actually been one of the things that as we talk to uh, market participants, one of the, the big trends has been uh, an influx of institutional investment, especially in, in our district. So people um, looking to to buy homes as part of a uh, a long term strategy, not not like we saw during the last cycle where it was you know fix and flip. There's some of that, but this cycle is more buy and hold, and it's a sort of a play at acquiring rental rental properties. And so you have all of this this you have people who are taking advantage of low interest rates. You have people who have equity in their homes, they're able to sell. You have institutional investors. All of that has just created this influx of demand in a market that, as of today, is critically under, undersupplied. And so all of that has, has created a situation where affordability has experienced um, significant downward pressure. Yeah, I was going to ask you how this situation differs from what we saw in 2008 and nine. So thank you for clarifying that. Um, you know, I'm a regular visitor to the to the affordability index that you produce, and a couple of things always seem to be true. You know, metro areas like Youngstown, Ohio, and other Rust Belt cities will have some of the country's most affordable housing, and places like you know San Francisco, San Jose will have the least affordable housing. So, 
For the sake of our conversation, let's take the high and the low off the table and talk more about median metros. Uh, are there factors that they have in common in terms of things like geography, economic conditions, demographics, or anything like that? Well, I think for the, the markets that are not in the extreme, what you're seeing is sort of a, trend, uh, a, a transition from being affordable to being unaffordable. So you take some markets in our district like Nashville. Nashville is, is a market that has attracted an influx of people from either the West Coast or the Midwest, markets like Chicago. People are moving to Nashville, and that market over, over the past several years has become more expensive. And so just in the last couple uh, months, as we track affordability in a market like Nashville, we've seen Nashville go from affordable to unaffordable. Or you take a market like Atlanta, Atlanta is still based on our index, is still just above that affordability threshold. But affordability in Atlanta has declined by 16, 17% over the past year. Mm. And that's the sharpest decline in our district. And so even though you know these markets don't show up on the extremes, they're not the most unaffordable or the most affordable like Youngstown or San Francisco. These markets are, are, are rapidly transitioning. I'd also mention a lot of our markets in Florida, which were traditionally seen as affordable alternatives for people who are uh, moving from the Northeast and kind of retirees. They're becoming very uh, much unaffordable, like Orlando or in Tampa, Orlando and Tampa and some, some other markets on the West Coast. And what all of those markets have in common is relative affordability from where people are moving from. Right. So compared to New York, Atlanta or Orlando or Nashville still seems affordable. Um, so they can come in. They have a lot of cash and able to buy home. But if you live in those markets, you're seeing your buying capacity shrink right. because you're not seeing income growth to match the level of home price appreciation. See. Well, I mean, let's talk, you mentioned Nashville. Let's talk about the Southeast uh, more specifically. Uh, in terms of affordability, how, do, how does the Southeast stand versus the U.S., or is it not a one-size-fits-all sort of question? Um, I mean, there's, broadly speaking, the Southeast is more affordable, um, mostly because if you take a market like Atlanta, Atlanta doesn't have any major geographic barriers. You can sort of build out. Um, that's not true of a market like, you know, uh, Miami or uh, like Naples or mm -hmm. in, in South Florida. But generally speaking, because it's it's cheaper to build, um, it's less regulations. Typically, in some of our markets, it tends to be more available land. It is a little bit cheaper. Now, that advantage is shrinking. The, the cost of the labor and materials, particularly lumber, has increased significantly over the past several years. And so that advantage, um, that affordability advantage in the, in the Southeast is sort of shrinking. No matter how expensive it becomes here, we still have an advantage, uh, an affordability advantage over other markets where, uh, more established markets like New York and New Jersey, where it's just, you know, it's just, it's just very expensive. And I would assume those other markets are also encountering the same you know, lumber prices and all, all those price pressures that we have in the Southeast. Yeah, um, but most uh, new home construction occurs sort of in the Sun Belt anyway. So everywhere from Arizona to Texas to Florida and Georgia, I mean, 
60 or 70 percent of new home construction occurs in those markets. And the more established, the older markets, more established markets, there is some new home construction, but it's not as much. New home construction in our region, in our district, is, is more affected by higher prices, just simply because it's just more activity. Sure, sure. And on that note, we'll, we'll close this discussion of the Home Ownership Affordability Monitor. Uh, Dominic, I want to thank you very much for talking with us today, and I hope you'll come back soon to discuss trends in housing affordability as you continue to tweak and feed the, uh, the index. Sure. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. Before we leave, I want to note that we'll have a link to the Home Ownership Affordability Monitor that we've been discussing today. I encourage you to look at it as it's very interesting and it delves into matters that we hear a lot about these days and that we've been discussing here. And I want to take a moment to mention the Atlanta Fed's Baking Outlook Conference, which will be held next month. The keynote speaker will be Allie Wolf, Chief Economist at Zonda, and she'll discuss the housing market, so we'll touch on many things that we've discussed here today. If you'd like an invitation to virtually attend the conference, please send an email to supervision at atl.frb.org. And that's all for this episode of the Economy Matters podcast. I'm Tom Heinches, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes as they come out. And I also hope you'll check out Economy Matters on the website at frbatlanta.org. Thanks for being with us today. Please come back next month and happy 2022. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at atlantafed.org.